Yeah, blessed be the Lamb. The one who was. The one who is. And the one who is to come. We worship you. We magnify you, Lord. We magnify you, Lord. Mm. Yeah, can you just stay right on that chord? Can you turn him up a little bit? The keyboard up a little bit? Yeah. Just right where you are, just begin to speak in the spirit. Just begin to let your spirit worship him. Sit minute Just let your spirit man up and out to the Lord. Yeah, just stay right on that chord. Yeah, let your spirit man just freely go up in love. Yeah, let it up and out, up and out. Like a river, like a river, springing up from the inside. A song of love to you, a song of love to you. My song of love to you, Lord. Song of love to you. I give my love to you. I give my love to you. I give my love to you, Lord. <laughs> Holy, 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 holy. Say, my love, 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 yes, if you are. Deep. Mapa, yamba, yes, if So lovely, so lovely. 
Just let him hold you. Just let him pull you close. Lover to me you are. Hey. Lover to me you Yeah. 
May the Lord unlock your ears in Jesus' name to hear. May the Lord clear your eyes to see. May the Lord soften, soften your heart so soft. May he shed abroad the love of God in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just be dipped in him. Just go down into him. Oh, la la la. Blinded by him, blinded by his beauty, numbed to everything by his touch. Oh, Just in our own hearts, let's just make a decision. We're going in further than we've ever been before. Just make a decision in your heart saying, Lord, I'm going in as deep as I possibly can these next couple days. I'm not going to let anything get in the way of yielding to you and surrendering to you. My past failures, I give them over to you, Lord. I won't let them stop me from getting to you or coming to you. 
the difficulties, the trials, the pressures. I'm not letting them get near you, Lord. I'm, I, I choose to go as deep as I possibly can. To drink deep. Even when I hit a bottom and I say, man, I'm, I'm tired of drinking. That they would break open another place. You see, in extended times with the Lord, you hit these, you hit these uh, bottoms. And if you'll wait, they'll break open and you'll fall deeper. And then you'll hit another one at some point. And if you'll wait upon him, you'll, it'll break open and you'll fall deeper. A continuous yielding produces a deeper and deeper awareness, a deeper and deeper consciousness where you can be swallowed by Him. And in, the, in those places of being swallowed by Him, you find deep taste. And you find rich food and you find the riches of Jesus. And the glory realms of God begin to transform you. Precious glory that makes us like Him. Oh Lord, thank you for glory. And even the glory that we've touched, I thank you that there's glory to glory. <laughs> Each place of glory that you touch prepares you for the next glory. As you've touched the glory, it gives you a platform to be able to experience the next place of glory so that you can go from glory to glory. The divine manifestation of his person upon divine manifestation of his person. To see, to see knowing upon knowing to know to know to know and then you will go on to know the lord to know to know to know knowing upon knowing and seeing upon seeing i release it even now that you would see upon seeing and you would hear and hearing and and there would be the narrow road within the narrow road yes, wow. Wow. Yes. jesus i pray for it in, in me in in these here lord lord we want to we want the depths of you. So, Lord, whatever must be broken, whatever must be opened, we yield to you. We surrender to you. Yeah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah, so just if you, uh, right where you are, if you want to just stay right the way that you are, it's totally fine. I'm just going to share a little bit. But I don't want you to just c come out. If God's doing something in your heart, don't feel like you need to move or anything. And also, I want to let you know, if you need to get up at any time, you're not going to bother me. If you need to get up and go out and go to the restroom or anything like that, it's not going to bother me. Be free. If you want to, at, at any time, just get up and go sit down somewhere else, or it's not going to bother me. Just feel free to completely find a place to give God all of your attention. Okay? The worst thing that can happen to you is that you come to a meeting like this and you are so conscious about the person to your right and to your left, you don't ever get exactly what God wanted you to get. Or you stop short of going further than you could have because of self-consciousness or the consciousness of another person. But there's nothing that robs us of God-consciousness more than self-consciousness and secondary to self-consciousness, which is part of self-consciousness, is people-consciousness. So the more conscious you are of yourself, the more you're not going to be able to be conscious of God the more conscious you are of yourself, the easier it is to be conscious of other people. But we need to make sure that the presence of Jesus is preeminent above the presence of anyone else. And you can tell that is happening when the heart opens up.
to completely receive and says, I don't give a rip what anybody thinks about me or what I look like to anybody else. I'm giving myself to you. It, there's a story. Uh, it's not a story. It's actually something that happened to me. But uh, I guess that is a story. It's a story of something that happened to me. <laughs> uh, I went to this. I was on my way to this meeting to preach. And on my way th- there, I had my heart just held before the Lord, even as we were just now. How many know that what we were doing just now, in the midst of the nothingness of it all, there's so much happening. The sweet somethings happen in the sweet nothings. You think ain't nothing happening. You know what I mean? Nobody's pacing and praying in tongues. You're just literally stuck in stillness. We think, oh, there can't possibly be much happening. No, I'm telling you, there's more happening when you stand still. The Lord's able to fight for you. It's when you start getting active that God's not able to fight as much for you as he wants to. But if you can find a, one who will get still enough, and why is stillness so important? It's because it's the manifestation of trust. I'm, I, I'm going to get still because I recognize there's nothing I can do. I must trust you for everything. That's when God can fight because it's trust. <laughs> it's not just stillness in and of itself. It's what stillness is doing. Stillness is manifesting that I trust in you. I trust in you. So as I was sitting in the car driving, I just was holding my heart before him like this. And I'm telling you, this is the number one reason why many people don't know how God speaks. The number one question that I get on the internet and that we have gotten by offering Q&A for different people is how do I hear God? That's the number one question. How do I hear the Lord? And I'm telling you right now, the secret to hearing God is letting him hold you. If you will let him hold you, then the heartbeat in his chest will go into your ear (laughs) and he will begin to synchronize you with himself. He will make you know, as the psalmist says, cause me to know the way in which I should go. He will cause you internally to be aligned with his internals. And you will walk synchronized with him. And so a lot of times people don't know how to get still and just wait and rest and let him hold them. So that's why a lot of people don't know his voice. But the sweetness of his voice is found right there and waiting. So I was waiting in the car and the Lord speaks to me and he says, tell them to open to me. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. He's talking about Song of Solomon, chapter 5. The lover says, open to me. (laughs) And the Lord speaks right after that, and he says, they will not open to me. But I had to speak it anyways. So I get in front of this conference, and I'm standing there, and I begin to say, this is what the Lord says, open to me. Dead silence. And I say it again. So this is what the Lord says. The Lord is saying, open to me. And they're staring at me. And so I'm like, Lord, I thought you said open to me. And so there'd be at least somebody (laughs) that begins to open. And then the Lord speaks to me and he says to me, they will not open to me, but will you? And so again, I said to them, open to me. And I heard the Lord say, they're not going to open to me, but will you? And I threw my eyes up and I said, Lord, I will. I will open to you. And the Lord came upon me like rain behind that pulpit. And I began to weep like a baby girl. (laughs) And they stared at me. 
the entire time, they just looked at me like, what in the world is going on here? And I looked like a basket case. I looked like a fool. And when I got done, I said goodbye to the people. And I went to the car and I said, Lord, that was the most embarrassing moment of my entire life. <laughs> and I said, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Because you touched me. And I don't care what they thought. They'll never have me back. I know it. Because I was a basket case. <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying that to say, man, if we will open to him and forget about everybody else, there is something there for you of him that otherwise would not have been able to be found. And I'm saying even as we're here in these next couple days, let that word open to me just continually lay in front of you when you feel like you get to a point where you're just like okay you know i need to do something else now hear the lord say open to me and let that layer that you hit that bottom that you hit let that rip off and you'll fall even deeper how many of you have no i don't don't answer this but so i know many of you in this room have taken extended time to be with the lord for instance maybe a few days where you went away to a, a place and you just sat with him. If you have not done that before, I highly encourage to find a time in your schedule when you can just get a hotel room or you know find a place in the house where you just for a couple of days do nothing but sit before him. It's in these times of extended periods of staring that we learn the activity of the Spirit unlike anything else. Now, life teaches us many things. Ministry situations teach us different things. Mar marriage teaches you things. Kids teach you things. Friendships teach you. You learn all kinds of stuff by walking with God in all kinds of situations. But when we take time to sit with God for an extended period of time, we find what the winds feel like. And we're able to become familiar with the way that he moves. We begin to find a familiarity to his voice and the feelings that he has. And we begin to find perceptibility. Now, when I say perceptibility, I'm talking about something specific. Um, so Jesus says, I only do what I see. Now, what he's saying when he says see is he's pointing at perceptibility. He's perceiving something. So he says, this is how I walk. I walk by perceiving. Perceiving what? Perceiving something from God. My Father. I see my Father. So this is the revelation of what it is to be a son of God. Now, he is the firstborn among many brethren. Right? So he is the means by which God makes others like him. So Jesus is the way God makes you like Jesus. <laughs> and so in seeing Jesus and the principles revealed in his life, we see the prototype man. So that sonship, walking out what we are as sons, is, it's walked out the same way Jesus patterned it for us. And so Jesus says this, I do nothing on my own initiative. So his human initiative was laid down. Okay? Then he says, I only do what I see. 
So he shows us that perception of God is very important for synchronization with God. To live in sync with him, we must perceive him. And I'm telling you, if there's one thing that the spirit of religion is constantly pointing its arrow at, it's perceiving God. You can find all kinds of Christian ministers out there who will literally bash the daylights out of perceiving God. And this is very uh, dangerous because we're not born again because we know about him. Jesus tells us in John 17 that what is eternal life? It is to know him. So eternal life is not ever reached by knowing about him. It's experienced and received in knowing him. And we know that knowing is inseparable from experience. So we have to touch, taste, see, because that perceiving causes us to receive. It is by perceiving and through perceiving that we're able to receive him. And as we receive him, he makes us like himself. And so a Christianity that doesn't perceive him is locked in the, in the confines of mental assimilation. It's mental ascent, if you will. And so because it's locked there, it never enters into a real knowing of the Lord. But let me tell you something, and I would write this down if you have a pen and paper. I know many of you know it, but I would write this down because this is gold. You become like him in exact proportion to your knowing him. You cannot in any way be like him without knowing him. And it is only by knowing him that you can become like him. And it is impossible to come to know him and not become like him. Because as he reveals himself, he gives himself to you. Whatever he shows you, he's given to you. That's the beauty of the voice of the Lord. That he's so vulnerable, he makes himself so vulnerable that when he speaks to you, he's giving his person to your person. And so whenever God speaks to us, it's never something, let's just say, oh yeah, God said, oh yeah, you know, one day God just said. No, when, when we say God speaks to us, you're saying, and then he gave this part of his person to me. And so the voice of the Lord is very precious to us. And we guard it and we cherish it and we hold it dear because by it we receive him. And as we love him, we love his voice. And we love everything that he does because everything that he does is him giving himself to us. And as he gives himself to us, again, we become like him. So I, I really felt in my heart to, to encourage each one of you that as we're here, let us give ourselves completely over to perceiving him in whatever way that he begins to unveil himself to us. Let us see him. You know, this conference is called, has the mystic, you know, uh, uh, word to it. I just want to say a couple things about mystics and mysticism because as soon as you say it, a lot of people get uh, upset or scared or they begin to say, that's weird, that's Buddhism, or something like this. 
Listen, Buddhists empty themselves. We fill ourselves. <laughs> it's the complete opposite. They, they want to just completely get away from everything. We're trying to go into somebody. You know, so it's, it's completely different. You can't, even, you can't even begin to put the two together. But just to explain a couple things. Do you know what a mystic is? A mystic is one who desires oneness with deity. Isn't that beautiful? That's what a mystic is. And so Jesus says him and his father are one. And then he says to you that you would be one with us. And so the divine inclusion, the glorious dripping of the blood off the tree and the sending of the spirit, the resurrection of the son and the sending of the spirit is all to grip man and pull him up into the sharing of fellowship with the father, son and spirit. So that you can have this fellowship. Remember when John writes his letter in 1 John. He says these things we're saying to you. So that you too may have the fellowship that we have. And our fellowship is with Jesus Christ. And, his, and, and fa the Father and Jesus Christ's son. So he's saying I'm giving you these things. Because I'm trying to pull you into this experiential fellowship with God. A relationship of exchange and perception and voice and touch and hearing and synchronization. This is what I'm trying to pull you into. It's what we've been pulled into and that's what we're pulling you into. And this is what Jesus taught the disciples and this is what he himself through the disciples brings to us by the fellowship of the spirit. Remember Paul writes at the end of one of his letters in Corinthians, he says, may the fellowship of the spirit be with you all. <laughs> Are you looking at 1, nine when he says, to this you were called to the fellowship of his son. So people ask all the time, what am I, I don't know my calling. I know your calling, <laughs> to fellowship with the son. No, 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 I don't know if I'm supposed to be this. I don't know if I'm supposed to be that. No, no, here's your calling, to fellowship with the son. Well, but I was thinking I would go to college. Well, let me tell you what your calling is if you go to college. It's to fellowship with the son. <laughs> well, I'm going to become a dentist. Great, let me tell you what your calling is, to fellowship with him, to know him, and to enjoy him, Right? So no matter where we are, if we change diapers all day long or we preach crusades, to know, to know, to know is the goal. And when you stand before God, what you are going to give an account for is his image in your life. There's a story that was told to me in Bible college. A man of God was, he fell asleep and in this dream he started to walk towards the judgment seat of Christ. How many know that's a reality? The judgment seat of Christ is really real. And it's going to come. Romans 12, 12 tells us that we're all going to give an account of ourselves before God. And 2 Corinthians 5, 10 tells us that we must all, everybody, Paul includes himself, will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the deeds that were done in the body. So everybody's going to stand before him and give an account of their lives. And we got to understand what he's after. Romans 8, 29 tells us that he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So what he's looking for is the character and nature of his own son in his own people. So this man is walking to go to the judgment seat of Christ. And on his way in the dream, he's thinking of all the scriptures that he's learned. And he's preparing himself just in case there's a written exam. He wants to be ready. And as he's getting closer, he prepares the tip of his tongue with a resume of service. I fed the poor. I saw this guy healed. I did. He's got all this stuff like on the tip of his tongue ready for a resume just in case God wants a resume from him. 
So he stands before God with his prepared resume and he's studied up for his test and the Lord looks at him and he says, come a little closer, I wanna see how much of my son I can see inside of you. And so when it came down to it, he recognized through this dream that God was not after a resume and he was not after a written exam. He was after an image. And that image plays out a certain way in our lives. It, look, it, it reflects in our marriages. It's in our homes. It's in our parenting. It's in our friendships. It's in our lives. And listen, maybe you feel even in your life, you're like, man, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know, Eric, my situation. Listen, no matter what the situation is, we know this. He can 100% wash over you and restart you at any point. He will literally sever you from the past and restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He is able, he is exceedingly abundantly able to be able to restore anything in your life. So you say, I, I've failed, I've, I've done this and that and the other and I, I don't know if I can approach God anymore. No, you're missing the reality of his nature. He always wants you. It doesn't matter. He wants you. We have this religious mentality that says, uh, I've got to become like Jesus in order to be able to enter into God's presence. It's, that's totally wrong, and it's a manipulation from the devil. No, you enter into his presence, and he makes you like Jesus. See, the presence is not a gift for the people that are holy. No, no, no. It's a gift that makes you holy. And so it's very important for us to switch this in our minds because our minds as humans think performance. And we think getting everything in order like an Old Testament reality. Like I've got to get everything this way and then I can come to him. No, no. Instead of seeing him that he is the father who will perform all works on our behalf as we simply come to him. If we will come to him, in coming to him, you have left behind all of that junk. And then once you sever yourself from it by coming to him, he's able to redeem it all. And so I want to just build you up and encourage you that no matter where you are in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, in your own personal heart, that right here, right now, God is longing for you to open to him again and again and again you say i don't you know i just i don't know it's very hard for me to get over myself well i understand but the reality is is he has overcome and that's all that matters he has won the victory already you know i felt in my heart as we were waiting i remembered hezekiah remember you guys remember hezekiah man you know he 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 baffles me hezekiah does the scripture actually states about him that there was nobody like him before him or after him. Isn't that crazy? That the Bible says it about somebody. There's certain people that walk the earth and were recorded in scripture that really inspire me. How many of you have those people for yourself? Well, there's a game we play amongst my friends where we say, if you could meet one person in the Old Testament, sit down with them and talk, who would it be? You know, and this one picks that, the other picks this. And, so there's these individuals that really speak to us, and you can find by the people you're attracted to what God has called you into. Because by the desires of your own heart, you begin to see what you, whenever you see somebody that you're interested in, there's an anointing on someone, 
and you're attracted to it, you can know this, that there's something in that oil that's in your oil. So God has literally put a drawing towards that because it's similar to what he's put upon you. And you'll take a little bit here and take a little bit there and it will all, you know, it, it will all take on your color. You know, it will all be in your own personality and stuff. But God has this way about him where he loves to pull you in by desire. You know, and you know, and I, I hate that people want to separate desire and God so much. No, 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 but he wants to infiltrate our desires. As we lay our hearts before him, he's able to infuse them with right desires. The Bible even tells us in Ezekiel that he will give us a new spirit. He will put in us a new heart. And he will cause us to walk in our ways. And he will make our desires right on the inside. So that you can see things come to pass in accordance with what you longed for on your insides. It's God. And he has, he has designed it this way. And I think that a lot of times we think to ourselves, well, I've got to, uh, you know, I, I've got to do something that's absolutely terrible and then I'll know it's God's will. Like the worst thing you can possibly think of, that must be what God wants me to do. The, the reality is, is it's not that way. As you look to him and you look at him, you begin to see what he's made you to be. And in that, you can effortlessly walk out by your own personality the plan that God has for you. You know, the, he has prepared these things beforehand. That's what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.10, remember? So if this is true, that he's prepared the things beforehand, that means before you were fashioned, he had things for you. So you were fashioned with what you were supposed to do in mind. So you, the tools and the giftings and the makeup of your mind that you have in your character and your nature was all pre-sewn together. And before that was a plan before you were sewn together. So before you actually came into this world, you were created. And before you were created, there was a plan specifically for you to walk out. So when you find whatever God has for you, it will be like a fish swimming in the water. You literally just are in your God-ordained environment. You're just flowing. And it's, it's part of what you are, what you enjoy. And you're able to serve him with joy. Listen, if there's no joy in the service, the service is not unto the Lord. Well, you say, Eric, I, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in our lives that are not joyful. Obviously, there are bumps in the road. Obviously, there's difficult things. But there is something in God that is able to lift you above and into joy, even if the thing itself in front of you is difficult. Do we not understand this? The fact, that the, God, the fact that God tells us in the scriptures to rejoice always shows us that our joy cannot possibly be contingent upon our perfection. <laughs> because if he says, and be joyful always, he's no, he knows you're not going to be perfect always. So if he says, be joyful always, then the joy that he's telling you to walk in cannot possibly be connected to your perfection or can be possibly connected, connected to situations. It has to be above all that. It has to be in his person. And so because this joy is in his person, no matter what we enter into and walk through, we can literally laugh in, in the midst of it. You say, Eric, there's people that are being martyred all over the world. You know, obviously, we, we know that there are people being persecuted for the gospel. But if you'll read in the Fox's Book of Martyrs about some of these people that were on their deathbeds or about to die or be killed, many of them went into death victoriously laughing. And the torturers were 
baffled. If you've ever read about Richard Warmbrand, anybody know that name? Yeah, Richard Warmbrand was a Romanian, put 14 feet beneath the earth for seven years in solitary confinement. He hadn't forgot what a woman looked like, child. He hadn't seen any colors but gray. He was fed one slice of bread a week. And there he is. It's just absolute torture. And you know what he said? He said he took his chains and he turned them into tambourines <laughs> unto the Lord. He said he would, in his cell, when he wasn't locked up, he would pace back and forth and he would worship the Lord and he would arrive that he called, he called this. He said, I'd arrive to a place of seeing. And he said, and I would see and I would meditate. And then he would say this. He'd say, and I would pray. I would pray for the nations of the world. I would pray for you, which I'm sure you were doing for me. <laughs> which is kind of a rebuke, but he began to talk. He began to talk. <laughs> about how when he was released, now listen to this, now this is, this is some of that stuff that New Covenant is made of, okay? This is what modern day Christianity has forgotten. This is exposing of the fact that a lot of modern day Christianity is so far removed from the New Covenant. But what I'm about to tell you right now, this is New Covenant Christianity. When he left the tortures, he said, people came to him, they said, it must have been hell. And he said, oh no, hell is to be without his presence. And we were held in the caresses of the bridegroom. And he said, I even long for those days. There was a precious holding, an intimate touch and kiss that he experienced there that removed him far above the circumstances and situations that was going on in his life. And I'm telling you right now, no matter what situation you are in right now in your life, it's probably not like his. Okay? So, I say this by way of encouragement. There is joy for you. There is peace for you. In his person. That removes you out from underneath the influence of whatever's happening in your life. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and they are safe. I feel recently as if the Lord, what the Lord has been doing is, even as um, uh, Heather was telling me earlier, I feel like the Lord is into wounding in such a way that the only safety you find is being held by him. And Heather was saying that she feels like what the Lord is doing is like a lamb bre breaking the leg so that you have to hold on to him and, and cling to him. And I feel this wounding is a wounding of love. It's a love wound that literally makes us dependent upon him. And this wounding of love, how many of you have experienced that pleasing pain? That, that literal internal, uh, uh, it's like a wound. <laughs> you become so deeply dependent upon him. I feel like this is what the Lord is even doing. And this is what he does in the midst of times of waiting on him for extended periods of time. He wounds you. And it's a beautiful wounding. It's a wonderful wounding because it makes us dependent upon him and our hearts are very sensitive to him and locked and engaged in him. So I was thinking of Hezekiah. And uh, Hezekiah, as the scripture says, there was nobody like him before him or after him. There was no king like him before him or after him. Does that not entice you in some way? It's like, man, that's incredible. What about this one? Job. The Bible says, God says, there's nobody like this guy on the planet. 
I mean, we say to the Lord, there is no one like you, but the Lord looked down on the earth and said, there's nobody like him. I'm not saying the Lord worshiped Job. That's far from what I'm saying. <laughs> but what I am saying is he was able to see something in Job that separated him from everybody else. I mean, God looks down at all of humanity and he says, there's Abraham, my friend. He looks at David and he says, this is a man, basically, this is a man after my own heart. Daniel, a man greatly loved. I mean, what in the world? John calls himself the beloved. What is that about? <laughs> I'm the one who Jesus loves. God must have told it to him so many times that he just believed it about himself. I love you. I love you. I love you. He must love me. He must love me. I must be somebody that he loves. You know what I'm saying? Moses Scripture says he was the humblest man on the earth. Again, he wrote it about himself, but he had to. <laughs> the Lord's write it, write it. Lord, I can't write it. <laughs> All right, I'm the humblest guy. <laughs> but anyway, so Hezekiah really, really has been moving me recently. And there's something that he says to the priests, and this is what I feel the Lord was speaking to me about while we were waiting on him just a minute ago. And I feel this is for every single person in this room. It doesn't matter. If, even if you're not in this room and you can hear me right now, this is for you. Hezekiah is talking to the priests when he's restoring everything after it's been lost. What Hezekiah says is this. You want to you read it? It's in... Uh, it's in... <laughs> it's in... I believe it's it's in Chronicles. Okay, yeah, Chronicles chapter twenty nine. Second, sorry. <laughs> Second Chronicles. It's chapter twenty nine. Now, he's restoring everything. Now, this is for you, okay? This is the word of the Lord for you. I'm convinced about it like I know my name is Eric. This is the word of the Lord for you, okay? And it's a happy, wonderful, glorious, encouraging, life-giving, peaceful invitation. All right? It's verse 11. He says, my sons, this is Hezekiah talking to the priests. He says, my sons, do not neglect do not be negligent, sorry. Do not be negligent now. Do not be negligent now. Why? Because the Lord has chosen you. For what? To stand before him. Isn't that beautiful? Then it says, what do we do when we stand before him? To minister unto him. The Lord has called you, he's invited you, opened the door 100% and said, come and stand before me and worship me. So whether you change diapers all day long, you preach crusades, whether you have nothing right in front of you at the moment, whether you're in school, whether you're busy or not busy, the invitation has come to you even today to come in and stand before him and to worship him. Do you know this word stand has to do with being still? To come and get still before him in adoration. 
So don't be negligent now in your life. Recognizing this call, recognizing this invitation with our lives, we come in to come before him and stand before him. Remember, we were talking last night, Michael and I were talking about how the angel of the Lord comes to Mary, right? And what does he say? I am Gabriel. The angel who stands before the presence of the Lord. I am Gabriel. I mean, he came from the glory realm to deliver a message as a pattern for you to show you where all messages come from. They must come from where you have seen him and experienced him and then bring them down. The scripture says about Moses, God called him to go up and be there. So in order to bring words down to men, we must first have went up unto God. But you may say, I don't hold a microphone, I don't preach. That not, has nothing to do with what I'm, what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, that's the very thing that I'm trying to destroy. The thing that I wish we could take out, and I know we can't because it's part of the whole thing, is this thing right here. The pulpit. I know it's part of it, but it's such a small part. Like my life in front of you right now, standing behind this pulpit, though I travel almost every weekend and preach, still, the time that I'm behind the pulpit is 1.5% of my entire life. The, the other part is life, my wife, my kids, school functions, finances, all this stuff, and it's all housed inside of the presence of the Lord. To live in and by Him in the midst of the most mundane thing. Oswald Chambers said this, God is most glorified in the mundane Oh, man, we need a mind shift, man, in Christianity. I'm not saying us here. You guys are a different breed, I can tell, because you signed up for something like this. <laughs> so you're a different breed, but I encourage you in the Lord. And this is what we need in the midst of Christianity and what we can go out and spread to others. And what it is is this, to redefine what success looks like and redefine what pleasing God looks like. Because you can go out on the street and pray for every sick person and see them all healed and not once have your heart aligned with him. I've been on the streets with people I know are not right with God because I know their lives. And they rip a cast off somebody and the person walks away healed. I've seen it. I've seen people that I know in my heart are not right with God stand behind a pulpit and see miracles. I'm trying to say something. That there's something else God is after besides people that can work miracles. Working of miracles is part of an overflow that comes from an inflow. That's the way it should be. But the reality is, is this, is that God deems successful a heart that is completely his. God sees as valuable the one whose heart is captivated by him. No matter what it is in our lives, no matter what's in front of us. I keep saying that because we always, as humans, bring up our own situation and put it between us and God. We say, yes, these are the things that God has called us to. These are the things that are the joy of the Lord. But me, I've got this. No, no, no. Let it all come down. So that you can see that the invitation is not 90% yours. 
or 96% yours. It's 100% an invitation to you to come and sit before him. Stand before him in stillness. Worship him. And in this, the priestly duties that God longs to see on the earth are fulfilled. Jesus is the great high priest because he got up early in the morning to go stand before his God and then bring the things that he saw out unto men. And this is the way of the sons. They perceive alone and they come out in public. What is found in private is proclaimed in public. Remember when John, what it says about John the Baptist in John chapter 1? The scripture says, there came a man sent from God. Did you hear that? So where was his abode, his origin, the place from which he came? The presence of the Lord. There came a man sent from God. And what does a man sent from God do? Well, the scripture tells us what John did, who was sent from God. He saw the lamb and he said, he spoke what he saw. He saw and said. That's, That's the beauty of what it is to stand before God. You see him and then you say him. And the reality is, is there's so many people out there that are saying without first seeing. Listen, it's easy to tell people what you read. It's different altogether to tell people what you've seen. It's a perception of his reality, the person exchange, the personable exchange that gives quality to the things that are said. Because we're not parrots. We learn sounds to mimic. No, he doesn't just give us sounds to mimic. In other words, just words themselves. There's something in the words that he longs to put inside of us, and it's himself. I just read a book by Henry Nouwen. Anybody know Henry Nouwen? Yeah, he, he actually said this one part. I thought it was great. He said, when a fish trap is used to catch fish, once you catch the fish, you take the fish and you forget the trap. And he says, so it is with words. Words communicate something, and then you leave the words alone, and you hold on to what was communicated. In other words, show me the man who's forgotten words themselves and received the heart behind them. That's what we're after. Jesus being the word is showing us he is the communication and means by which God gives his person to you. So that Jesus is not only that thing which is received, but the way or means by which you receive. And so we, God speaks into us. And even as we said earlier, I forget how he said it, but he was saying, sometimes God doesn't say anything to me, but he fulfills everything in me. Isn't that wonderful? Sometimes he doesn't, quote, say anything, but he has done everything on the inside. And that's the beauty of God's voice is sometimes it's not perceptible in the sense of, uh, no, sorry, it's always perceptible. Sometimes it's not intelligible, but it's always indelible. Now, what does indelible mean? I, when somebody first told me indelible, I didn't know what it meant. So I was like, what does it mean? They said, well, it's like if you take a Sharpie and write on the wall, it's not going anywhere. Or a fossil would be a better way to see it, like a fossil, you know what I mean? You guys know fossils? So an indelible, is an indelible mark. It's not going away. That feather or whatever it is that's on there, it is there. And so sometimes his words are not 
intelligible, but they're always indelible. And they are the means by which he makes you like him. So this is why fellowship is number one. And God has called you and God has called me to stand before him. Okay, the question may come up. So, I stand before God. I'm blissed out in the sweetness of his glory. He gives me fresh kisses and touch. And I'm fulfilled thoroughly by him. And he speaks these things and does these things on the inside of me. What do I do with them? Well, wait, okay, I don't have a microphone. What do I do? Well, you have friends. You have a family. You have a situation of life God has ordained for you. God's plan was never to win the world through witnessing, but through witnesses. There's a difference. Witnesses are someone who has had personal contact and experience with the thing. And then from there, they are something different because of the direct encounter. And from being something different, they are a representation and calling into the same thing that has happened to them. One time I got off a plane and this guy says to me, he's on the phone, I don't know the guy, never seen him before in my life. And he's on the phone and he looks at me and he's like, hey man, it's raining. And I don't know the guy and I'm looking at him, I'm like, cool. Like, I don't know if he's really telling the truth. I can't see outside, we're in the airport. I don't know him. I don't know why he just told me it's raining. So I just go on and I get to baggage claim and this guy comes running in from outside and he's soaking wet, dripping. And it hit me. The first guy only had words that somebody else told him and he communicated them to me. But I didn't really know if it was true or not. The second guy came in dripping with the substance of his own testimony. He didn't need to say anything. He was wet. <laughs> And in the same way, God's plan was never just to tell everybody by the phone, it's raining outside. His plan was to drench you so that wherever you go, you are dripping with the substance of your own testimony. He lives. He lives because you touched him. I remember Dio Moody was asked, how do you know Jesus is alive? He said, because I spoke with him this morning. And in the same way, when you encounter and touch and kiss and find the sweetness of his glory in your personal life, then from there you go out and you are something completely different. This is God's plan. This is what he longs for. Do you remember when the scriptures talks about Jesus? Remember Jesus, whatever you see in him, he's the pattern son. He's the prototype man. He came as a man to reveal to us what God wants from men and what he through the spirit was going to make available to men. Right? Right? Now... We're not the lamb of God, right? We're not the son of God, but we, by the spirit of the son, become sons of God, right? So with this said, the scripture says that the word became flesh. Do you, do you see what just was said there? The word of the Lord was now encased in a human body. The word became flesh. Then the next, ver the next part of the verse says this, and he dwelt among us. Okay, now what does that look like? He lived his life in the midst of people. So you have the word encased in a human body, walking around and being around people in everyday life. Then the Bible says, and we saw his glory. Now, it doesn't say the word became flesh, he performed miracles and we saw his glory. Now, he did perform miracles and that's part of it, but that's not what John chooses to point out. He points out that he lived in the midst of men. 
and we saw his glory. Which shows this, that when you receive the speaking of God into your life and into your heart, your human body holds inside of it the word of the Lord. And as you live and dwell in the midst of men, that's how you reveal the glory of God. The glory of God is the word inside of a man being seen out of a man. When the word that is brought inside reveals itself outwardly, that's the glory of God. Now you say, what does that look like? It looks like husbands love your wives. It looks like uh, do children obey your parents. It looks like slaves obey your masters. It looks like a, these, these foolproof foolproof things that Paul has written out for us. You know, somebody asked me one time, why do you think that Paul continually wrote over and over again in the scriptures real basic point blank uh, rules, if you will, or, um, you know, don't do this, you should do this, this is what it looks like, these are the works of the flesh, these are the works of the spirit. He says, why do you think he wrote them out if the spirit works them in you? In other words, if the spirit does it, why do you even know what it is? It's because God makes things foolproof for you. If you ask somebody who's read the Bible for the first time what stuck out to you the most, they're probably going to say how much God repeats himself. <laughs> he says the same thing over and over and over again in many different ways. He's trying to make it so simple for you. He's not trying to make it complex. He's trying to make it so simple. Now, I don't really know why I'm starting out with this stuff. But I know this, that there is a fresh call for every person here. A fresh understanding of the fact that wherever you are in your life, your calling is not insignificant or less significant than anybody else. You are placed right where you are on purpose. And the invitation is to come and stand before Him Amen. and to worship Him and adore Him and enjoy Him. And as you enjoy him in sweet fellowship, he places himself inside of you. And then as he places himself inside of you and you go outside amongst people, they will see the internal residence of the word. Your family needs more than anything else to see God in a man. I got born again the first day that I saw Steve Hill. He was a man standing behind a pulpit with his face radiant with the glory of God. I had went to church all my life. I had been to church since I was born. And all my life I was around Christianity, but I didn't meet God until I saw God in a man. And when I saw Steve Hill's face radiant with the glory of God, I met Jesus. And I know this, that God's preferred method of giving His Son to men is dwelling inside of men. There's no greater expression of Jesus than when he takes your personality and he fills it with his words and the vibrations of his presence and lives out of your personality right where you are. As a matter of fact, there's nothing that will stifle what God has called you to be more than trying to be what he is in someone else. But the problem is, is a lot of times we see this person or that person as spiritual. And we say, if it's not like that, then it's not spiritual. No, 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 no. That's how God is with and through them. Take what you can and be you because you will stifle God. You will stifle God's flow out of you by not letting him out of the fullness of your person. But I'm weird, Eric. Praise God. 
He wants all of you. And the, the situation that is around you is tailor-made for you. Okay, so being, I know this isn't very mystical, but in essence, it's, this is mysticism. Why do you say that? Well, let me just define a couple things for you. Do you know what mysticism means? The word mysticism, mystic is to seek oneness with God. Mysticism is the knowledge of God by direct experience. Okay, you can look it up yourself. That's what it's called. Mysticism is the knowledge of God by direct experience. So, Theology is the knowledge of God by study. So theology is people coming to know about him through studying about him. But mysticism is people who walk with him through continually experiencing him. The motif of Christian theology is this. We believe that we might understand. The motif of Christian mysticism is this. We believe that we might experience. The old mystics talked about this book and they called it the blessed book of experience. It's so different than just thinking, let me learn as much as I possibly can. You see, there's a difference between learning and eating. You can learn and never eat, but you can eat and still learn. What do you mean by that? I mean there is a learning that only comes by leaning. Where do you get that from? John. Why? Because Peter says, hey, you who's leaning upon the lamb, tell us who's going to betray him. In other words, Peter knew there was information that John could get by laying that he wasn't able to by just staying around him. There's a difference. There is a learning that only comes from leaning. And if you will lean your head upon his chest, you'll gain access to the divine treasure chest. And the more of the riches that you taste from there and eat from there, the more he can make you like himself. And everyone around you will see it. I remember when my mom came home from Brownsville. How many of you know what Brownsville was? Uh, how, how much time do I have here? Uh, okay, um, two minutes, okay? Because we got lunch coming up. Is that okay, two minutes? All right, I'm going to say this last story and then we'll, then we'll move on. To, uh, to lunch. Now let me just encourage you guys. You are a precious group of people. Your eyes are fixed upon him. Your hearts are pliable, pliable for him to mold. Your ears are open to hear him. Your hearts are leaning towards him. I just want to lift you up and encourage you and breathe freshness on you so that words that have been spoken about you or things that other people have thought about you, man, may they fall off. Because you are loved and you have his ear and you have his eyes. He's looking at you. You have his attention. You're very important to him. And your place is very valuable. And he has said, you, I want you with me. <laughs> Come and sit with me. When my mom came back from Brownsville, Brownsville was, real quick, 1995, God poured out his spirit. In a little church in the middle of nowhere. As a matter of fact, it was a rundown place. Did anybody actually go in here besides me? Okay, so I'm gonna try to say this as fast as I can. Middle of nowhere, rundown part of the city. God pours out his spirit in a church, and in four years, without one advertisement, four million people came through the doors. 
Why? Because there was such an outbreak of the glory of God, people were lining up at 6 a.m. to get into the 7 p.m. service. Now listen closely. The only reason why they were lined up at 6 a.m. is because they had to make a rule that you couldn't sleep on the property. Because the people were sleeping there to get into the next service because there was such a visitation of the glory of God. The people were camping out there all day long to be able to get, in, to get into the services. Have you ever seen this before? No. Toronto. The glory of God was so manifest there that people came from all over. Buses were coming back to our church from Brownsville and they were shaking under the power of God and they were different. My dad, who was a pastor, says to my mom, he says, why don't you go up there and check, check out what's going on? And so her and her, <laughs> her and her crazy group of friends, which I owe my life to, by the way, they're just a bunch of ladies that nobody knows their names. They're not people that are, gonna, are on television. You know, some of them have went on to be with the Lord since then. And uh, they were just a crazy group of ladies. And the church, people in the church said that they were the crazy group. But they would, they would meet and they would pray. They would pray in the spirit. And they would worship the Lord and they would drink of God. And they would pray for me when I wasn't right with God. And they would be over at the house and they'd be praying. And I remember walking in thinking I was a gangster rapper. And, and I would walk in to the house and they'd be pacing back and forth. Show no, 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 show no, no, no. Like praying and I walk into my room and it smell like anointing oil because they anointed everything I owned. And, man, I'm telling you right now, I'm walking on those ladies' tears for me. <laughs> they prayed for me. I'm telling you, maybe you're praying for somebody right now and it doesn't look like they're gonna turn around. Listen, I did not want to turn around. I was repulsed by it. But their prayers literally drew me in. And so my mom went up there with a bunch of her friends. And I will never forget the day she came back. She came walking into the house, and I was in the kitchen sitting up on the counter. And my brother was standing by the table in the kitchen. And my mom comes walking in. And when I saw her, she was my mom, but she wasn't my mom. She was radiant with the glory of God. Her face was so soft, and her eyes were light, and she looked like an angel. My brother ran away from her, <laughs> and he went behind the table, and he's like, don't come near me, Mom, don't come near me. <laughs> my mother grabbed my face. I'll never forget it. She went, well, because I was sitting on the counter. She walked right up to me, and she grabbed my face, and she goes, Eric. <laughs> she goes, you're going to come with me. And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> She made, me, um, she made me go. She bribed me. She said, you can bring your girlfriend. So I said, all right. And I remember when we pulled up to the parking lot, and there was this line. I was like, I never wanted to go to one service, let alone stand outside all day long. We waited 12 hours to get into the service. I complained the entire time, <laughs> dropping F-bombs here and there. I was just upset. <laughs> And then they opened the doors. And when they opened the doors, the people ran in like, like they were giving fresh bread and everybody was hungry. And as soon as I walked through the threshold of the door, I was aware of God. I literally walked into the awareness of God. And as I was inside this place, 
I didn't need anybody to tell me to get right with God. I was thoroughly convicted and convinced that I needed God. And then once the worship started, the people started to worship like they were going to die soon. <laughs> like, what in the world? I had never seen anything like it. They worshiped as if he was actually watching them worship. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. Like he was actually there. And I'm like, man, I've never seen this. And then Steve Hill got up there, grabbed that microphone, and he lifted his eyes to heaven, and he said, friends! He began to preach Jesus hardcore, and he said, if you need to get right with God, and I'll never forget it, he goes, if you don't wake up in the morning with Jesus on your heart, go to sleep at night with Jesus on your heart, eat, drink, and breathe Jesus, I question whether or not you really know him. And then he would say things like this. He'd say, listen, friend, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, and you don't come down here, when you get to hell, you fought for it. Because he's pulling on you. And I ran down to that altar. I gave my life to the Lord. And when I got right with God, I felt a weight come off me. And I walk over to my mother who had been praying for me. She's tears and she's crying. She was so happy that I gave my life to the Lord. And then she says, Eric, let them pray for you. And I said, no, I'm good. <laughs> because when these guys were going around praying for everybody, they were flying everywhere. There was people shaking and falling on the ground. I said, absolutely not. I looked at my mom. I said, mom, I'm clean. I know it. I just gave my heart to the Lord. I'm good. And then she goes, no, Eric, you need the Holy Spirit. And then I said, mom, I got the Holy Spirit. I just got saved. Then she goes, for me. Will you let them pray for you for me? And so I look around, and I find this old couple. <laughs> Silver-haired, silver-haired old couple, very sweet, and they're praying for people. And I'm, I looked around, and I'm like, I see Steve Hill praying for people over here. They're flying, and then Kilpatrick, they're flying. So I finally looked at and those old people, and I said, Mom, oh, okay, them, they can pray for me. So I walk over to this silver-haired old man. He was really tall. And I look up at him, and I was ready to get prayed for, and he grabbed me by my shoulders, and I'll never forget it. And he turned me around to face his little wife. And I, when he, he turned me around, and I'm looking at his little wife down at her. She looked up at me, a fan, just old, old lady. She's not here anymore. And she reached up like this. Her hand was shaking, and she reached up like this to pray for me. And she laid her hands on my head, and uh, she began to say this. She said, drink. And I have my eyes closed, and her hand is on my head shaking. And she's saying drink, and I have no clue what she's talking about. She says it again, drink, drink, son, drink. I'm like, drink what? How? I don't have any idea how to even do this. And she says it again, drink, drink, son, drink. So I said in my heart, I said, finally, she's not going to stop saying this until something happens. So I said, Lord, I let all the guards down. And I said, Lord, if there's anything for me, then I'll take it. And I opened up my eyes, and I was underneath the pew. <laughs> and my mom was so happy, I got up, and when I was down there, I had had a vision of Jesus, my first vision of Jesus. And he changed my heart. He was changing my heart. And when I got up and I looked at my mom, she was so happy. That's what she wanted, was for me to get rocked by the Holy Ghost. 
And I sure did. I went back to school and I lost all my friends. They didn't recognize me. I came back and they were looking at me. They're like, what happened to you? I was the same person, but there was something so different upon me. They wouldn't hang out with me anymore. I'd sit in the lunchroom by myself and read the scriptures. I'd read the Bible in class. I was so hungry for God. And I remember one time I was in, the, in weight training and I was just reading the scriptures on one of the weight things. I wasn't supposed to be doing that, but I was doing it anyways. And this guy was in the back of the classroom crying. And I'm like, yo, what's wrong, what's wrong with homie over there? He's crying. And they said, oh, his, his mom won't let him pray. His mom won't let him, uh, thank you. <laughs> his mom won't let him play sports because he has asthma. And when he said it, I thought to myself, Jesus can heal asthma. <laughs> and so I walked back there and I, I asked him why he was crying. He told me and I said, can I pray for you? You know, I had never, at this point, I had never seen Todd White. Now, Todd was a heathen then. So I laid my hands on this guy's chest, and I said, Lord, I ask you to take his asthma from him. And that was it. And when I let, left my, let my hand go from him, he looked at me, and he goes, bro, I feel like I'm high. <laughs> when you touched me, he goes, I feel like I just smoked weed. <laughs> now, I never, I never smoked weed in my, li in my life, but... <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, no, I just didn't. I got saved so young. I was 15 when I got saved. But uh, so I don't know. I just was like, oh, cool, man. I guess that's great. And so uh, he ended up, he, he was completely healed. The reason why I'm saying all this is this, is that it's the direct encounter that changes the face that makes you a witness. The witness is the changed face from gazing at his face. If we will look at his face, our faces will become radiant, and witnesses are those whose faces are radiant. And your husband, your wife, your kids, your manager, your friends need a shining face in their lives. And we'll take off from there the shining face when we get, when we get back from lunch. Is that cool? Okay, you want to say anything? Okay. Thank you so much, Eric. Oh.